Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Uh, I took earlier this week off, kind of on accident. Um, I mean, not not like I just. Anyway, I was actually going to come out with an episode. It was going to be this pretty personal episode. I think I'm going to say that for next week, uh, coming into Thanksgiving and things, and kind of maybe hopefully kick off kind of a new uh, theme that I'll touch on that came at the uh, suggestion of a friend that I really liked. So. I'll tell you more about that, obviously, next week. But anyway, I uh, come to you from beautiful St. George. The weather has just been awesome down here. Um, not ready, I guess, yet to give up the warm weather quite yet. Shout out to one of my longest, oldest homies, Tyler Miller, who let me crash at his place. Um, and for anybody interested, he runs a few Airbnbs down here and just does very well they love him he does such a good job down here taking care of his guests he lives he has a couple places in washington and um which is just on the northern side of st george basically like directly right on the way to zion national park so anybody who wants to get away for a bit at all hit up my guy tyler he'll take care of you he's like i said great dude really easy to to get along with anyway uh today's episode uh, Chase comes back on, but we do something a little different. Like it's not just BYU. We kind of go back to what we did over the summer, where we just kind of talk randomly, pontificate about topics. But one that was on my mind was this TV show You that's really popular on Netflix, specifically among females. It seems like, and it got me thinking. Like there really is kind of a female obsession with serial killers. Now, with that said, I kind of nerd out on serial killers as well like i definitely am very interested in kind of who they are and whatnot and i get into that a little bit in this episode so i don't want to necessarily sound like a hypocrite but it does seem a little strange how many females like really get into that and like what where that obsession might come from i don't know i just thought it was worth talking about so chase and i talk about that for basically the whole first half of the episode um let me know what you think. I think it's kind of interesting because I, I have a lot of questions, unanswered unanswered questions, obviously. Maybe some of them are unanswerable. But And then from there, we uh, I actually do get into a little bit of the power of positivity and whether or not it's even a real thing because I've been reading a book on that. And I think it's really interesting and fascinating to think about, ultimately, that there may not be a lot of power in being positive because you do have to be real and you have to be authentic in what your perspective is. But... The guy writing the book says he does know for a fact that there is power in negativity. So that's why he's kind of showing off this idea of uh, neutral, being neutral. Just be real. Like, just get to neutral. Don't be negative. You don't have to be positive if that doesn't necessarily appeal to you, but definitely don't be negative. And that can help just your life out in a lot of ways just with that alone. So anyway, been thinking a lot about that. And so Chase and I get into that a little bit. And then, of course, we start diving into the BYU sports aspect of the podcast with BYU basketball and BYU football and Chase gives a great breakdown of what has to happen in order for BYU to make a new year six bowl which would be a big deal for those for the uninitiated in BYU sports if you choose to keep listening at this point regardless I still think we're living in the glory days of BYU basketball that's just me anyway sorry to bore you with that if you're not into BYU sports or sports in general hope you all are doing great it is a Friday happy Friday to everybody next week is Thanksgiving I hope you all are looking forward to that spending time with some family maybe some friends the idea of a Friendsgiving has certainly taken off in uh, recent years um, which is a good thing why not right get together with your friends and find excuses to just have some fun eat some food and 
and uh, let go of whatever stresses may be overtaking you in life. Hope you all are doing well. I love you all. Hope you have a great weekend coming up and that you just are able to let your hair down, relax a little bit. I'll see you all next week. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. The, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Mormons. Yes, yes, the Mormons, Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, Chase. Welcome back, everybody, to Latter-day Takes. I feel like it's been a bit, but it's been maybe a week and a half. It's been closer to two weeks, actually. That's the, one of the longer hiatuses I've done. It's just been busy. You know, things just happen. It is what yeah, it is. I kind of lost track of time. Maybe it means I'm dying inside or something. I just don't really keep track anymore. Should we be concerned about you, man? I don't know. Yeah, it's part of it's part of getting old. Yeah, yeah, to say the least. Um, well, it's good to be back. I mean, if I if I did this full time professionally, I wouldn't I wouldn't take hiatuses without any explanation. So, like I said, if anybody wants to pay me to just do this, done. You'll never see me miss an episode again. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Not yet, at least. Not but yet. before we get to kind of the meat of what I want to talk about. I, I, I want to talk about something that most of my audience will at least be somewhat interested and engaged in, which is this Netflix series. Have you heard of you? I've heard of it. I have very little interest in watching it. Okay. So what have you heard about it? Uh, my, the basic understanding I have is it's just about a a guy in a toxic relationship with a girl and some kind of murder stuff is going on. And uh, maybe he kills someone or something and uh, she's like finding it out as they go. that's about all I know. Yeah. From what it's like kind of a, I think it's like a dark comedy type. Um, it follows this serial killer uh, falls in love and develops an extreme obsession. It's Penn Badgley. Do you remember, do you, do you know him? No. He's probably been in some stuff you've seen. I remember him from Forever Strong. Do you remember that rugby movie from Highland High School? Or mm, for about Highland High School? I never What's watched that? one. I, I never watched it. It's actually, I actually always kind of liked it. But um, anyway, Penn Badgley, a, a handsome man, right? And that's the reason why these people love it, I guess. But um, anyway, there's about three seasons in, three or four seasons in, and it's just like this guy moves to LA, falls in love with this girl. And in the process is like, he's a serial killer and it's, it's uh filmed through his perspective. So he's actually narrating it. I've seen a couple episodes mainly because like the girl I was dating at the time wanted to watch it. And I'm like, I can't watch this. I, I hated it. I, I just thought it was weird for one. It was a w- weird way to film it. But then another thing is that, in a sick way, you're kind of you're encouraged to root for this guy. Like he's kind of viewed as the protagonist. It looks like, which is kind of jacked up, right? So kind of a Dexter type of show. Yeah, I never saw Dexter either, but yeah, I guess it kind of sounds like that. But wasn't Dexter at least murdering serial killers? 
Uh, he was just murdering bad people. It wasn't necessarily serial killers. Did you watch it? I, I watched Dexter. It's okay. I think it gets way too much love. People are obsessed with it. It's one of those shows that like had two or three strong seasons, and then it just kind of became repetitious after a while, and it's just kind of recycling the same idea and just extending it out just to make more money. And now they're bringing it back, which I'm not going to watch that. Oh, yeah, I did hear that they were bringing it back. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like that. But even then, like, from what I understand, I mean, I don't know. This is where somebody could correct me and somebody that might listen to the podcast that loves this show, which I can't imagine there's a lot of people in the audience that are falling to that category, but I may correct me here. Um, I think he, I don't know if he necessarily primarily goes after terrible people. Like one of the, spoiler alert, one of the episodes I saw is that this guy's like married now and has a kid. And both of them are like psychotic serial killers. The girl he married is too, I guess. He ends up having an affair with the neighbor and they decide it's best to to murder her, I think, or something like that. And you're just like, this is so dark. Like, this is extremely, extremely dark. And it's supposed to be a dark comedy. But anyway, I mean, I've watched things that are less than stellar and you still, for whatever reason, find the art in it. I don't, you know, I mean, like Shawshanks has has some really dark parts of that story in the movie, but it's still an amazing movie overall. So I guess I don't want to I don't want to necessarily come across as a hypocrite here, but I don't understand that. But it leads me to kind of a bigger overall question, which I fall under this category, too, to some degree. What is with anybody's obsession with serial killers? But more specifically, it seems like there's a female obsession with serial killers. So I don't know if I know why it is, but I, I can always identify the type of person who's really into that kind of thing before we even talk about it. It's like a certain type of personality. Well, go ahead and explain who that person is. Like who fits the bill? I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's if I had to simplify it down to like one characteristic, it's like the type of girl that would date a guy because he drives a motorcycle. That's who. That that's the kind of person that's into the, like the serial killer stuff. I don't, maybe it's like this attraction to bad boys and like being danger. Into yeah, danger. I don't know. Maybe there's. Maybe if I put on my uh, psychoanalyst hat, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Is like this ability to kind of lurk around danger, but with that, you know, from the comfort of your own home, kind of thing. I don't know. Hmm. So I looked up a couple things on this and. It, it certainly isn't limited to females. One, one little personal anecdote that I think is really funny is that um, I put on a dating app that it just asks, like, I geek out on this, right? I, like, ask these prompts. And I, for one, one time I, I put, I geek out on serial killers. And I was like, I understand the ramifications of mentioning this on a dating app. I'm sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing. 80% of any of the girls that reached out to me, maybe even more, it could have been closer to 90, all like pointed to that prompt as like the reason why. Like they'd either make a joke back about me saying that or they'd be like, oh, which ones? Like da 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 And there'd be some back and forth. Because here's the thing. I do kind of geek out on serial killers. And I actually, long before like Ted Bundy was more in the mainstream, like I had read up on him. I'd read up on Jeffrey Dahmer. Like there are a bunch of other serial killers that I would just kind of like deep dive on. Like what's his bucket? John Wayne Gacy. Um, all those guys I would geek out on just because I was fascinated. And to me, I was fascinated. 
Now, I will say this. That here's one major caveat, and I don't want to necessarily say the opposite is what these people appre- like they like about serial killers, but I, it wasn't in the sense for me that I was I wasn't like fangirling. I really was fascinating because fascinated because I was really like trying to identify what motivates people to be serial killers. Like, why would they do that? And I also in in that process of kind of read, reading up on them, it dawned on me. And I don't. This is not an original idea. I don't think, but it certainly made sense when I had read up more on these guys. Was that the there's a really fine line between serial killers and the men who catch them. Would you agree with that? Or what do you think about that? What do you mean, so what do you mean by that? Like, I think they're really similar in personality. I think they're like, I mean, like serial killers, no question. Like most of them are fastidious. Like they're, they're like really, really obsessive about specific things. Um, I think the investigators that catch these guys are generally kind of in similar boats. Like they get really, like they get hung up. It's like they have this compulsion where they become obsessed with trying to catch this person. And they're really trying to like nail down what it is that motivates this person to do what they do. And they like, that's how they like get caught up in trying to profile this person. Um, and it's like this OCD behavior, if that's even the correct way of saying that, that is the crossover there. What's that? You've watched True Detective with Matthew McConaughey. and what do you I have seen that season. Yeah, that's the only season yeah. I've seen. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it works in that season. Matthew McConaughey becomes like a psycho. Yeah, he does. It's true. And I'm not saying that like the, the investigators that catch these guys are like just a few ticks away from actually murdering people on their own. But I think like it just in the sense like the psychology, like I think there's like there's some crossover in the psychology. Like if you were to put a Venn diagram between the investigators that catch serial killers and the serial killers themselves, like there'd be a lot of crossover, I think, in how they, how they could be psychoanalyzed. Maybe, I don't know. That's one hypothesis. I wonder if part of, part of like this weird obsession people have with it is it's kind of like, like we don't really get serial killers anymore. That's like that. That's like a thing of like the seventies, eighties and nineties. Well, I think there's an easy explanation for that. I think it's harder to get away from it or sorry, harder to get away with it for one, like extremely hard. I think the yeah. term serial killer can be broadly applied to a plenty of people that commit murder now. Um, I don't think it's a necessarily a one-to-one um, comparison when it comes to like mass shooters. I don't think those mass shooters necessarily could be classified as the same serial killers that we've seen, like you mentioned in the 70s and 80s. Um, I think there are plenty of those people that still share that same mentality and that same psychosis that exists now. I don't think that's gone away. If anything, that's increased. I just think things like DNA and being able to profile what a serial killer is and what they do uh, and how they exist in society just doesn't give these people a lot of opportunity to go on sprees. Well, that and like, it's funny that people are so, like even to this day, it's like, oh, you don't, you want to go out with him? He might be a serial killer. It's like, Okay, what's he going to do? Kill you and then all the records in your phone demonstrate who he is and where he's been? Like, no one's going to kill you on a date anymore. Like, when's the last time that's even happened? <laughs> yeah, well, have a daughter and then maybe your opinion might change. I mean, I just say, like, the the impulsive nature of these people is no different. So whether or not they kill you, I guess, is one thing, but it could still be a very unpleasant date. Granted, 
if there's any question of that, you should be able to know well before going into the state just by the, how they act, how they text, how they are on the phone, how their pictures are. Like, it's not hard to determine whether or not this person is a weirdo be, yeah, well, before you actually go out with them once. Well, I mean, now we have the luxury of, of vetting people on social media. And it's like unlikely that someone's for better or for worse, by the way. Well, well, it's just you can look at someone's social media and be like, okay, is this person going to build this entire life around them and then go off and kill a bunch of people? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. But you know what bothers me about uh, about the serial killer obsessed girls is it's so funny how they like lift these guys up on some platform like they're like like some classic writer, like, I don't know, Hemingway or something. Like they put them on that level of like admiration almost. And yet they take like a regular dude who has never committed a crime in his life. But if he has politics, they don't like, they want him him to rot in hell. But the serial killer, that guy, you know, we need to study him and admire him and all his intricacies of his brain. But the guy who you don't like politically, let's, let's let him rot in hell. He can die. Yeah. Well, that is hilarious. Hilarious. Cash 22. Um, I do want to go on record as saying that I don't think Ted Bundy was actually attractive. I just think relative to the rest of the society, he was probably okay. And especially relative to the rest of serial killers. He was, he was definitely attractive. Better looking than Charles Manson. No question. Right. (laughs) Um, Like a, a lot of, I think from what I understand, a lot of, well, no, not a lot, but definitely plenty have had like kind of this charismatic attitude. Like they have appeal. Like Charles Manson was obviously known for that. Ted Bundy is another um, John Wayne Gacy, even though it involved little boys, which is terrible. I mean, all of it's terrible, but just children in general, I think is just like next level, evil, terrible, horrible, but amongst um, serial killers, he's a really bad one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not like those other serial killers. He's, he's not like guy. those other serial killers that were like, all right. <laughs> um, turns out there's actually a term for this. What were you going to say? Oh, I, have, I have a little claim to fame with, uh, with, uh, you do. It was yeah. uh, Ted Bundy. I mean, not really mine, but uh, my aunt. So one of, one of the main pictures that gets circulated with Ted Bundy um, is a picture of him and my aunt at some kind of ward party where they're like washing the dishes together. Um, him and my aunt just sitting there smiling next to each other. And she, I mean, she knew him pretty well. I, I'm pretty sure they went on a date at some point or anyway. That I bet you're making up, but okay. Well, I know. I mean, she knew him pretty well. They were in the same ward. I don't know to what extent the relationship went, but she's in the famous picture. Yeah, um, you're not wrong about that. I've actually seen yeah. the picture. I'm actually, I just Googled it right now. It's a lot of people have probably seen this picture. It's him with like a dish rag over his left shoulder, looking at the camera, turned to his left, right across, just to his right is a blonde woman. Your your aunt is in a kind of a weird pose, drying a plate literally within two feet, foot and a half of Ted Bundy. That is the picture. That's your aunt. It is actually pretty nuts. He was probably holding a knife right next to her, washing those dishes. Actually, that's a good. I'm gonna make that part of the promo for the pod. That's actually a great picture to use. Done. I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, your claim to fame. Would you have gone on a date with Ted Bundy? Um, if I was a girl. <laughs> no, if you were you. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I go. Yeah, that that would go right be right in my alley. Going on a date. He actually does kind of look like your type physically. Like he's kind of got a thin build. I know you like that, my, right? My type. Yeah. Of guys? I don't know. I'm just of humans. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, turns out there's a there's actually a term 
for being a fan of a serial killer, which is hybristophilia. I'm not sure if I pronounce that right. It could be hybristophilia, but hybristophilia sounds right to me. Um, where people just kind of like have this weird level of revere for a serial killer. Um, and it can, I want to read a couple bullet points, which I find interesting, that these can actually be uh, part of the reason why specifically females uh, are attracted to serial killers. Some of the bullet points are low self-esteem and the lack of a father figure. I think daddy issues goes a long way in terms of like who you date. So, I mean, no surprise, serial killers could play a role in that, I guess. Um, another one is some believe they can change a man as cruel and powerful as a serial killer. That one I totally buy. I bet there's a lot of that, actually, where they're like, he wouldn't be a serial killer if he was with me. I guarantee you that <laughs> that exists. <laughs> some sort of savior complex there, which who hasn't had that when it comes to dating? Anyway, there's another one. Others see the little boy that the killer once was and seek to nurture him, which kind of goes in the, the, the previous one. Or some hope to share in the media spotlight or get a book or movie deal. That makes perfect sense. Um, and some mental health experts have compared infatuation with killers to extreme forms of fanaticism. They view such women as insecure females who cannot find love in normal ways or, or as love avoidant females who seek romantic relationships that cannot be consummated. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, probably you could boil it down to just they have an abnormal relationship with masculinity in general is kind of where it boils down to. Well, and like some psychologists have talked about how serial killers kind of naturally come across as alpha males, which makes sense. I mean, what's a what what better way to show that you have dominance over another person by um, outside of killing them, right? I mean, like as that's one major way you can do that, unfortunately. Um, anyway, what do you, that, that's kind of, kind of something I wanted to get out of the way because I think the, the, the infatuation has ramped up quite a bit. I mean, it didn't help that Zach Efron was the one that played Ted Bundy in like the latest Ted Bundy, um, biopic or biopic, however you say that. Um, and now you have Penn Badgley, who's also a good looking dude playing a serial killer in a TV series on a really popular TV series on Netflix. And I think it's like kind of sick. Now, I know I do things that are could be could be looked upon as like jacked up, but like this one is just like I don't get why you would watch a male protagonist who's a serial killer. I don't understand it. Maybe maybe one of somebody one of the listeners can help me out there, but it doesn't make sense to see that all that darkness play out on screen. It's a little weird. It's definitely one of my like, you know, I'd say my top 3 superficial turnoffs would be a obsessed with their stupid dog B, uh, we can leave B as wild card here, and then C would be having a weird obsession with serial killers. That's just it's a weird combination of attributes. Wait, serial killers obsession comes after loving your dog? Well, it's just those are just a couple of the common denominators I found in in girls I'm not interested in. That's fair. I would say loving their dog is probably more common than loving serial killers. Which is just just having a, a, like, I don't know why any single person needs to have a freaking dog. That's just my personal opinion, but. Yeah, I mean. It's a a stuffed animal for adults. I think there are degrees to it. I I like dogs. I don't really ever want to own one, I don't think. Um, But I could be talked into it. Uh, Yeah. you know, I don't know. I just think, like I said, like it, it, you can you can have a dog, you can be all about it, but to be obsessed with it and to like 
feel like you need to take it everywhere and things like that. Like it, it's a little strange. I would agree. But how many of the dogs that you see from single people these days, would they still have them if it weren't for Instagram? I would That's say that's a great question. Well, um, would not. Let me add on that. How many dogs would um, exist in these scenarios if they just had kids? Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of where this comes from is our generation. And I can't, you know, I can't claim innocence here, but our generation is put off having family and kids and all that. And, uh, and they've replaced those natural instincts that were put in us for a reason. They replaced it by nurturing a stupid animal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, before we get to really quickly, what I want to, well, I mean, I'm glad we kind of spent the time we did talking about serial killers because I wanted to make this a little bit broadly applicable. And I want to talk about another thing that our audience can indulge in uh, at a broad level before we get into like more self-indulgence at BYU sports. But, um, and I don't think we'll take that much time on this topic because you don't, you actually strike me as the exact opposite of somebody of what I'm about to talk about, which is the, the power of positivity. Do you believe in that? I believe in being sincere, whether that's positivity, negativity, or some mix in between like most natural interactions would be. I believe in authenticity and, uh, and not trying to, not trying to lie to yourself or sell something that's not there. So if that happens to be positivity, then that's great. But I think a lot of this like pro positivity movement is about optics. And I'm just not an optics guy. I don't have any guile in me. So it's not like I'm, I wouldn't call myself a cynic or a negative person. I just try to be authentic. And if that comes across as negative, then that's just because probably relative to everyone pretending to be extra positive all the time, I might come across that way. But I, just, I would actually agree with you up until a certain point. I would agree with you that there is a sense of realism that can't be ignored. And, and I'm, in fact, I'm going to build off of that a little bit more here in a second, but I think authenticity obviously is the most important, but then I also want, I under, or I guess I'm curious as to at what point is it necessary to be authentic about your reality when it's negative? Well, I guess, I don't know if I'm answering the question here, but my definition- It's ambiguous, I'll admit. My, my definition of optimism is having a positive outlook in spite of, the reality that faces you in life, not to hide from that reality, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of people go out of their way to be extra positive, almost as like a coping mechanism for the fears of the things in their life and the, 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 the negative things that come into their life. They, they try to overcompensate by projecting uh, a, a positive outlook and almost kind of hiding. And they say, Oh, I don't want to hear negative talk, stuff like that. It's like, why why do you let that affect you? If, if something, if there's a negative reality facing you, it's far more, in my opinion, positive to, to acknowledge that and to be, and to have a positive outlook in spite of that, rather, rather as a defense or, or, or a mechanism to cope for that, if that makes sense. I don't know. If I'm that sure. does make sense. I get where you're coming from. I mean, like I said, that's kind of the real realistic perspective there makes a lot of sense. Um, I've just heard a lot. There's this guy specifically that I'm referencing, Trevor Moad who brings up a lot of interesting points. He's, he's basically a sports psychologist, but he's not certified at all. Um, he didn't go to college for this, but he's spent a lot of time with very like successful coaches in various sports 
He's business partners with Russell Wilson. And his whole idea is neutral thinking. And the reason why he puts neutral out there is because when, for the same reason that you, that you say, like when you're, when you're being positive about, you know, a dire situation, you could be lying to yourself. Like you're, at least you feel like you're lying about yourself. Right. Cause you're like, this sucks. Like this sucks. There's nothing positive about this, but his whole point is being negative about it. Never helps being negative about it can compound the issue actually if you're like wallowing in it and it can make it so you like just stay longer in that negative state, if that makes sense. Do you, do you buy into that? No, I, I see what that, I see what you're saying there. Um, what I will say is I think it, what's less important about whether you have a general positive or negative outlook, I think more important is having a sense of gratitude is naturally going to bring out the more positive side of you. I, I think that's probably far more important than what you project to everyone else is if you have gratitude, then you're naturally going to have a positive outlook on life. I would agree with that. Um, I think gratitude plays a huge role just in life in general. And I think it's important to honestly show gratitude every day, you know, whether on a personal level, just to yourself about other things or to people when you have the chance. I think there's a lot of power in that. But I would say like to Trevor Moad's point, like neutral thinking is what is kind of his thing where it's like, yeah, the reality can be tough. But talking about it and echoing that tough sentiment can compound it. And if you can get to neutral and just be like, here are the facts. This is the truth. This is where I'm at. And he even talks about it in the context of his own divorce. where He's like, how was I going to be positive in that divorce? Like, of course, I wasn't going to be positive. But here's what I know. My wife wants to leave me and this, that and the other, you know, and he wasn't he he was able to like stave off the compounding of the negative thoughts by not going to the point where it's like my life has now changed forever i'm gonna miss her for a long time like will i ever find anybody else what's the point of getting married now in the future again because i'll probably just get divorced again like things like that and that's where he stops short and i don't know i think there's a lot of power in that because i think when you do get to that neutral way of thinking it at least can allow some more positivity yeah and i think and it's appropriate and realistic Along those lines, I think that the proper way to look at life and the circumstances that come at you is no matter what happens in life, everything is a trade-off, right? Like you lose your job, that sucks, but the trade-off is, hey, that you have potential to go find something better. Or if your girlfriend dumps you, that sucks, but now you have the potential to go find someone that you like more or you get along with better. And I think like no matter what happens to you in life, whether that's growing up poor, if you grow up poor, that sucks, but you learn a lot of good lessons and probably that's going to reflect itself in some way later in your life in a positive way. Or, you know, if you lost a loved one, you learn, you, you develop a strength that most people don't understand because of what you went through. So like everything good or bad that happens to you has a negative and positive trade-off. Like if you grow up really well off and, and everything's handed to you, that's going to reflect itself in a negative way in your life too. So everything, good or bad, has has a trade-off to it, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let's transition here into our positivity about BYU sports, and let's see if we can will our boys to achieve great things. Two things I want to talk about specifically is how amazing our BYU basketball team is playing, and I'm not sure there's anybody out there that has a better breakdown than you about like what we need to do to get into an NY six, what we need to do and what needs to happen. Two sides of that. But I will say the last podcast that aired that I did was 
like I like I mentioned before, the most self-indulgent BYU sports podcast you'll probably ever hear from me. And maybe part of the reason why I took almost two weeks off was because I didn't want to talk about BYU basketball after they sort of let me down. Now, granted, we talked about BYU basketball, and I was talking about how their ceiling seemed so high to me. This is before they played a single game in the regular season. And then we go on to win two games, but we only look sort of good. You know, we didn't really dominate Cleveland State like most thought we should have. We certainly didn't dominate San Diego State. That's okay. San Diego State could actually be a good team. And we came out with a solid win over San Diego State, but we still don't play that well. So we're still kind of thinking, like, what's going to happen here? And here I am thinking, like, did, was I over the top? Like, is BYU basketball not that great? Then, come Tuesday night, they go to Oregon in Portland, which is just a, an hour or two, I think, from Eugene, where the University of Oregon is. Is that where they are, Eugene? They're Eugene, right? Uh, yeah, University of Oregon is yeah. Eugene, yeah. So it's basically a home game, but there were a lot of BYU fans there. And BYU basketball goes on to absolutely destroy the University of Oregon. In fact, it was one of the, it was like the largest margin of victory over a top 25 opponent uh, since like the early 90s. It, we beat them by, what was it, 32 was the final? Yeah, 81 to 49? Yeah. It was it was unbelievable. Like we played amazing. Oregon did not play well, but a lot of that I feel like was actually due to how great our defense played. Yeah, I mean, other than other than like maybe the the Jimmer San Diego State game and then the Gonzaga game from from two years ago, this was probably the most fun I've ever had watching a, a BYU basketball game. It was at the point where I was just laughing yeah. each time we scored yeah. because it was so funny to see a, a, a dominant team pretty much at home just get absolutely throttled. And I mean, when you do this, when you go do this to a team like that, you are allowed to project your team as far as you want. I mean, if a BYU fan wants to say we're a Final Four contender right now, they have every right to do that. Now, maybe, <laughs> maybe we come back down to earth when we drop an easy game down the road. But right now, you can call BYU to the Final Four and no one can call you crazy for that. Not as crazy, that's for sure. But I mean, that's that's Bartholomew logic, which, hey, there are some people that would actually agree with you there. I think I'm not totally sure I can go quite that far. But yeah, I get your overall point. It was it was an amazing victory. We looked so good in the process. Um, I it, there's no question. This has got to be the most athletic BYU basketball team ever. Oh, it's not even close. It's not even close, right? I mean, like we've had teams with better week. shooting, right? Probably. It's still early to say, but that's probably the case. Um, one thing that stood out to me, and I looked this up a little bit actually, is that it seemed like there's a good chance BYU has two NBA players on their squad this year. Now, some people would disagree with me, my brother being one of them. He doesn't think Barcelo is going to make it in the NBA. I think he'll get a summer league team, and then from there it comes down to how you define making it in the NBA. But I think Barcelo will get a summer league shot for sure. Um and then remind me of our big center center freshman Fusimi Troyori or yeah Fus Fus is has got NBA potential written all over him. Yeah, so that made me think. Like, when was the last time we had two NBA guys on at, at BYU basketball? Do you know when that was? Back in the eighties. Yeah, it was early eighties, late seventies with Ainge. And guess what? We had four. It's crazy. There were four guys at one point that were in the NBA on that Ainge team. Obviously you had Ainge, 
Fred Roberts, Devin Durant, and one other, Greg Bird, I think. It's or, no, sorry, Greg Kite. Greg Kite. It's nuts. It's absolutely yeah. nuts. Four guys yeah. on one. But that was also a different time in the NBA when you had a bunch of white guys that could survive and thrive and all that stuff. Fred Roberts actually had a solid career. Obviously, Danny Ainge did. But um, well, I, I told you I played a church ball game with Fred Roberts. He was the uh, he was the counselor. I thought it was intramurals. Oh yeah, intramurals. That's what it was. Yeah, he was the he was the counselor one of my BYU wards, and uh, we I, I recruited him onto the team and he came <laughs> and played. And he hit, he had twenty four points in the game he played it. I mean, he kicked. Still butt. got it, man. Yeah. Celtics legend. Yeah. <laughs> I think we lost the game because our team sucked, but he did well. Yeah, go figure, man. That's funny. But anyway, like it's the real deal. Like our, our this BYU squad is is legit. Are we not? I mean, we and when I say legit, I mean there's. I, I don't think there's any question. We come second in the WCC. I think we give Gonzaga a run for their money. We could still lose to them twice. I think that's fair. Maybe three times ultimately in the tournament as well. But it's not crazy to think we go undefeated otherwise in the WCC and quite frankly, undefeated in the preseason, meaning that we could be a legitimate top 15 team when all is said and done with it at the end of the season, making us about a three seed, four seed at worst. Well, I, I mean, I think we can shoot a little higher than that. I, I bet the rankings come out on Monday. We're probably going to be 18, 17. I mean, when you have a win like this early in the season, people are going to vault you in there. there you can There's no question about that. I mean, we're already getting votes. We were already around like 28, 29 as it stood. Um, Goodman put us in his top 10 after that yeah. game. He already had us like in the top 20 at that point before that game. But Goodman obviously saw the potential in us. Jeff Goodman being one of the top college sports, college basketball writers in the nation. But, um, yeah, so yeah, I don't, what, but what do you mean? Like, I, I'm like, I'm being conservative in that estimate, a three or four seed. No, I'm not saying the three. I'm not saying that's conservative. I'm saying that the the AP ranking could be really high because if, if we enter, yeah, but if we lose to Gonzaga twice. Like I could see us being out of the top ten, but in the, still in the top fifteen. Okay, still. but still, I mean, we have plenty of room to climb um, before we play Gonzaga, and so I'd say when do we play them first? January, at some point. So we have a whole month of polls that are going to come out, and if BYU wins, well, out, I'm not talking about our peak. At any okay. given point in the year, I'm just talking how like kind of where we yeah, land before the NCAA fair tournament. Yeah, fair enough. Top yeah, fifteen, I, I, two or three seed. I, yeah, I would say, sorry. Two, I would say right now our our range is realistically like a three to five seed, but you never know. You could maybe drop drop a seed from there or go up a seed from there, but we'll see. There's there's still so much to happen. We have to see. There how is. Good, have to it's see kind how of, good kind of ridiculous. Is yeah, and how good San Diego State is, and there's so many things to play out. But yeah. I mean, we look like a good team. <laughs> it just seems like Pope is fantastic at emphasizing the right things in the game plan. He just does. Like one, and I loved his presser, his post game presser from San Diego State when he's like, "Yeah, our shooting sucked, but we won. Like we still found a way to win." And he's like, "I don't care. Like if our shooting's bad, that's fine. But the big thing was, I emphasized get rebounds. You have to get offensive rebounds. You have to get defensive rebounds because that's how San Diego State beats you. So if we out rebound them, we'll win." And he was yeah. spot on. Well, teams that can win against good teams without shooting well, that mean that that's a sign of a great team. We've had good teams that can shoot the ball well and beat good teams when they do that. But this is the first BYU team we've ever seen that can go out and win big games without shooting well. And that that that's where the sky's the limit. Oh, for sure. And we've never had a player like Foos. We've never had a player like them. Like there were some early Yoli Childs comparisons being thrown out there. I almost would say a better comparison is Arugio, actually, but quicker. Yeah, 
like, and not as polished on on the offense, but he's still young. Yeah. But seriously, like the way he bodies these guys up on defense, they don't have a lot of places to go, and that's what made Arujo so great. But then the one play that I'm thinking of that like kind of is mind blowing is when he was kind of getting in getting into it with the center on Oregon, and he got shoved and falls down. So then they feed the ball down low to that same center, and he gets up in time to block that dude. Like yeah. it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was an unbelievable display of athleticism. I thought something you don't see at BYU too often on the basketball court, and it just looked—he looked fantastic. Well, definitely the most game-ready freshman we've ever seen at BYU, especially this early in the season. I mean, the only one who I can think of that looked this good as a freshman was maybe Loner last year, but it wasn't until like midway through the season that he really picked it up. And he had a terrible game. Yeah, yeah. And he, and even this year, Loner's kind of been like a, a little bit of an afterthought. I'm sure he'll pick it up, and I think he'll I think still, so too. He'll I still love be Loner. one of the, the best two or three players on the team this year. But, but I mean, to come in in your first two or three games and to play like Foose has, it, it looks like he's a junior. It's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. He looks very well polished out there. It's it's. I'm sorry, polished in every sense except offensively. He he does have some way to go there, but it's fine. He's I love where he sits right now. All right. Well, prom- we are looking promising for basketball, and it's fun. It's a fun time. Now, let me ask you this. Are you more excited currently, right now, are you more excited about BYU basketball or BYU football? Uh, still football, just because we're still in the mix for the New Year's Six. A lot of people are watching the rankings, and we're not climbing. They're starting to freak out and say, ah, oh, we're just going to go to the stupid Independence Bowl. But I've, I've, d- I've done a deep dive into – the New Year's Six and what needs to happen. And it's really doesn't need to, nothing crazy needs to happen. Want me to break it down right now or saving that for later? Uh, might as well get into it right now. Like, okay, so yeah, so- in fact, I just wanted to know if you were more excited. And the fact that I, I really wanted to make a point of posing that question, BYU basketball, BYU football, which goes to show how awesome it is being a BYU sports fan right now. Sorry. It just right, no, this, this right now, like this very moment right now is probably the most promise we've had in both sports ever uh, you know when you when your football team's still competing for a new year six game your basketball team's looking as strong as ever it's it's a good time that we, we've gone through some dark times the last decade but we are definitely in a good spot right now yeah and uh that's why i posed that question that last episode are we are we in the midst of the glory days of being byu fans and i think there might be some merit to that man one of our uh, mutual friends uh who's been on the pod before casey who's a huge utah fan even made a joke about that. He's like, rumor has it we're in the glory days of BYU sports. And the thing is, like, he's kind of joking about it. But, like, I think even to some degree, a lot of Utah fans feel that. They really do. They're just kind of like, now, granted, they're focusing on themselves. They got the Pac-12, and they got a lot to play for still. In fact, we're big Utah fans this Saturday. We'll get to that later. But I just, it's undeniable. Things are looking up. The potential is very real. Now, have we hit it yet? Of course not. We're still very far out. But things are looking great. Anyway, take it away. Yeah. So I'm going to break this down basically by conference. A lot of people are like, okay, the rankings came out. We didn't move. Like we're running out of weeks to move up. But now as we're moving into that section of the season where the the crazy stuff's going to happen. So so basically right now we're two spots out of making a New Year's Six Bowl. And there are four ways we can move up a spot. And there are three ways we can move down a spot. Now, I'll, I'll go over the four ways we can move down a spot first because these, these are the things we can't have happen or we can't have more than one or two of these happen if we're going to have a chance. So first of all, you're talking about the Utes in Oregon this weekend. 
We need, we definitely need Oregon to lose before the end of the regular season, because if they don't, then the Pac-12 is guaranteed to get two teams in. That'll either happen because Oregon makes the playoff and the runner-up gets the Rose Bowl, or that'll happen because Oregon wins out until the Pac-12 championship, loses then, and then they get an at-large bid, and the winner of that game would get the Rose Bowl. And that would effectively move us down a spot in the pecking order, regardless of who's in front of us or who's behind us. So we really need Oregon to either lose to Utah this weekend or lose to Oregon State the following week. Obviously, Utah is probably the better shot there. And that also helps our resume. Um, So that's one thing. Number two is uh, the Big Ten East champion, which would either be Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State, needs to win the conference championship and prevent the Big Ten West champions, likely Wisconsin or Iowa, from hopping ahead of us into that guaranteed spot for the Big Ten. That's another way you can lose a spot. And the third way you could lose a spot would only be if Wake were to win out and then lose in their conference championship game, they would probably stay ahead of us for an at-large bid. And uh, so, so that, and then the ACC would get two teams in, and otherwise that wouldn't happen. So those are the three ways you can go down a spot. Uh, like I said, you need to move up too. Now, the four ways you can move up a spot, that's going to come from either the Big Ten, the SEC, or two potential spots from the Big 12. In the Big Ten, what you have is you have a three-way gridlock right now between Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. All three of them are competing for the playoff. All three of them are competing to win their division. And all three of them are in really good position to hold on to at least an at-large New Year's Six spot. So one of those three needs to have three losses by the end of the year. You have Ohio State who plays at Michigan, or excuse me, against Michigan State and then at Michigan. They're all three. All three of them are in the same division in the Big Ten, yes, right? Yes, correct. Yep. And so Ohio State plays crazy those. if all three made an NY6, or at least one of them. It could happen. If, if they all finish with two losses, they all will get in New Year's Six or, or the playoff. So um, basically, Ohio State plays those two. Michigan plays at Maryland, which they're probably going to win. And then against- Ohio State has a loss, by the way, right? Yeah, all three of them have one loss. All three okay. of them have one loss, and we need one of them to go 0-2 at the end of the year. And they're so, all yet to play each other, right? Except for Michigan and Michigan State. No, no, they, they none of them have played each other yet. Except, no, yeah, Michigan and Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State, State did. Play. Michigan yeah. lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, Ohio State plays those two teams. Michigan plays at Maryland and then against Ohio State. And then Michigan State, this is probably our best bet to go 9-3. and three. They play um, at, at they play Ohio State this week, and then they play uh, against Penn State the following week. Oh, and that's yeah, a game they sure. can definitely lose. So, so if if you're going to gain a spot from the Big Ten, one of those guys needs to go zero and three or zero and two. Sorry, and then the winner. You really want Ohio State to win this Saturday, then, because Ohio State will likely not lose to Michigan. I would say they could. They could. It's at Michigan. It, that's a tough game. So I don't, okay. I don't know. And the other problem is, is it's possible, but not likely that a nine and three Ohio state would stay ahead of BYU unlikely, but possible. So you'd probably rather see Michigan or Michigan state lose out anyway. So that's the okay. spot you can gain in the big 10. That's kind of a tough spot to gain. I don't love that, but you don't need it where we're really going to get helped out is the big 12. And in the big 12, you have Oklahoma one spot ahead of us. Baylor a few spots ahead of us in Oklahoma State a couple spots ahead. It's actually of us. perfect that Baylor is kind of the front runner, right? Or is Oklahoma State technically? So I actually want Baylor to lose. I, I don't really? think I don't I don't think Baylor 
and the and being the team we lost to, I don't think we that carries as much weight as just moving ahead of them. If they lose again in the regular season, we'll move ahead of them. That's more that one spot is far more valuable to me than their resume being slightly better. And so Baylor losing this week would be huge because that's one spot we can gain. We only need two, assuming all that other stuff works out. So we only need two. So I think Baylor losing is actually the best thing. And I think if they lost in the Big 12 championship game, there might be an argument to keep them ahead of us with three losses. So you really would prefer they lose at Kansas State this week, which Kansas State's actually the favorite. So that's one where you actually would like to see. And then the other possibility is Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play each other in two weeks. They both also have relatively tough games this week. Um, Oklahoma plays against Iowa State, which is a pretty good team. And then Oklahoma State plays against Texas Tech. They're probably going to win that. Um, They'll but- definitely win that. I So me knowing a little bit more about Texas Tech, just a little bit more, I think. Um, the fact that Iowa State lost to Texas Tech maybe bodes well for them coming into the Oklahoma game. I don't know. Granted, Oklahoma just lost to Baylor, so they've, they're they're – wanting to avenge themselves as well. That'll be interesting. By the way, quick shout out to Texas Tech. Did you see the end of that game, Texas Tech versus Iowa State? No. So this is just worth mentioning because it was incredible. I was watching this happen when Texas Tech is dominating this game and they just lost their head. They just fired their head coach like a couple weeks ago, Matt Wells, former Utah State head coach. And their season's looking really bad. Like it's looking like they may not make a bowl game, but they got to five wins because they had some easy wins at the beginning of the season, but they had a tough schedule for the rest of their Big 12 schedule. And they're all of a sudden dominating Iowa State, a good Iowa State team, in the first half. They're up like 31 to 10 or 14 or something like that. Well, Iowa State come clawing, comes clawing back in the end of the game and ties it 38 to 38 with like a minute left. Texas Tech is kind of playing nonchalant here with their interim head coach. And they like barely make it. They're not really playing smart. Like the receivers aren't getting out of bounds. They're not like using timeouts the right way. Like it was kind of ugly. Their receiver like kind of nonchalantly gets to like the 42 and it has the line on ESPN where their field goal kicker is comfortable kicking it. You know, it shows that green line where they need to get yeah. for the field goal. This this kid's long is like career long is like 48. Well, lo and behold, they they bring out the field goal kicking team. When they make it to no joke, they make it to the 44, I think officially 44, 45. It's a 62-yard attempt. This beats his long, career-long, by 14 yards. Comes in, and I'm like, what are they even trying this for? This is insane. They forego the Hail Mary. Kid comes in, sinks it with, like, plenty of room to go. It was insane. Texas Tech wins it on the buzzer. It was one of the, no joke, it was one of the cooler things I've seen this season. It was pretty amazing. I just didn't, I just came out of nowhere. I was shocked. Well, we could use some of that magic when they play Oklahoma State. Yeah, for um, sure, but I I doubt it. I don't think yeah. Texas Tech isn't that good, but yeah. But the point being is, by you know, there's a very real shot of us gaining two spots from the Big Twelve alone. Um, and the the key the, the the one caveat to that being, if Oklahoma State manages to win out and they sneak into the playoff, then that limits you to one spot because then the second place Big Twelve team would take the Sugar Bowl. So a lot needs to happen. And then the last spot you could gain is the sec. This would basically come down to Mississippi state beating Ole Miss and then making sure Alabama doesn't get into the playoff, which could happen if they just lose to Georgia, but they probably need to lose at Auburn really to push them out of the playoff. Um, So that spot, I'm not as comfortable uh, predicting, but I think we can definitely get those two spots from the big 12. And it really comes down to wake 
not making it as an at-large team that they just either win out or they lose before the end of the season and Oregon losing once before the end of the season. As long as that all takes care of business and we can gain two of those four potential spots, then then we're in. I mean, it's not like a question of yes or no. We're, I mean, we're definitely in because there's no one behind us that's going to pass us right now. Um, all the teams sitting right behind us, none of them have any big games that are going to push them over us. So as long as BYU takes care of business, doesn't look like garbage in their next two games, and as long as a pretty reasonable scenario plays out, we've got a really good, I would say, 40% chance of making it. So we'll see. 40%. Wow. Yeah. So that's 40% for Bartholomew terms. That means reality is like 20, 25 at most. Hey, I'll, I'll take that. I think most people are <laughs> saying it's a lost cause at this point, and it's absolutely not a lost cause. Definitely not. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, what were they? What would they expect after a bye week? I, I, if we would have moved up in the bye week, that would have been nuts. Like they don't realize like how crazy, amazing that would be. Um, the fact that we stayed the same, I'm like, great. I mean, the, as long as we didn't lose spots, yeah, it seems like there's still a scenario. Yeah, there's absolutely, like scenarios said, where like, it could happen. Like, like if Wake, if Wake wins out, then loses in their conference championship, or if Oregon goes to the playoff, if those two things happen, then it becomes a razor thin margin. But as long as those two things don't happen, we're going to be in a really good spot. And we'll just see what happens at that point. Well, Cougar Nation, we're all Ute fans this Saturday. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, if someone gives me a Ute shirt, I'll wear it. <laughs> I, in <laughs> fact, it's, it's, kind of hilarious. it's kind of hilarious. This Utah-Oregon game is actually a bigger deal for BYU than it is for Utah. In fact, you could I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, Utah should lose on purpose to Oregon. It's like, they're not going to do that. But but Utah, the implications of this game are not that big for Utah. The implications for BYU are massive. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, they're pretty big. Utah has a way better chance at an NY6. No, actually, if they lose it, their chance is better. Because if they lose, Oregon's a sure, almost a sure bet to the playoff at that point. And, uh, and if Oregon makes the playoff, Utah's still going to be the runner-up. Unless They're not they going to be in the playoff if Utah beats them in the Pac-12 championship, though. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying that 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 or, or Oregon's biggest obstacle to making it to the playoff is this game this week. Oh, absolutely. But if they lose, no matter what, in the Pac-12 championship to Utah, it's not going to matter. So Oregon's really like both these games are equally as big in Oregon's mind. Yeah, for Oregon, but not for Utah. Because for sure. Utah, if Utah loses today, they're pretty much a shoe in for the Rose Bowl. <laughs> because if they lose today and then they lose in the Pac-12 championship, they're still in the Rose Bowl probably. And if they mm. win, the, if they win the Pac-12 championship, they're in the Rose Bowl too. But that, this game losing it effectively puts you in a position of your Utah that you go into the Pac-12 championship knowing, knowing you're going to the Rose Bowl one way or another. Unless no, that's not. But that's where I disagree because if if they oh, I'll tell you what, if they lost both games, yeah, that would definitely yeah. give put. Wait, do no? Because do they become the the Pac-12 doesn't get an auto NY six, does it? Yeah, everyone does. It's just, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. Even, whether if, even if even if the one of them, even if they're the one that would have gone to the NY6 goes to the playoff instead? Yeah, no, that's the, the, the runner-up automatically gets a spot, except in the case where your game is one of the, like, what you, let's say the Rose Bowl is one of the playoff games, then Oregon making the playoff would be the only guarantee. Um, for oh, and it's not this year? That's but a the, freaking the, weird the layout. Bowl, the Rose Bowl is just a regular New Year's Six game this year. That's a stupid layout. They, that doesn't make any sense. Because no, a, if Utah lost to Oregon twice, 
and made an NY6, that'd be a joke. Yeah. That'd now, be a freaking I, joke. I have heard the Rose Bowl does have the option to take a different team. So, like, I, I think the natural pick would just be to take the team in the championship. Sure. Yeah. But they yeah. could, like I say, Arizona State goes 9-3. and three. That might be a more attractive option than taking a, a, an 8-5 and five Utah team. So. No, that wouldn't make a lot of sense either, though. That's a weird situation to put that. I hate that. Like that, that is that is super weird that Utah has a better chance of making an NY six if they lose. lose to Oregon both times. Yeah, or or if they won this. I mean, if they won the second time, it'd be the same thing. They'd go to the Rose Bowl. Um, but you're right, though. In terms of incentive incentivization, she. Yeah, but then, but then you have to start asking yourself: Is our season even? I don't care if you go to the Rose Bowl. Is it really a successful season if you go eight and five and go to the Rose Bowl? No, of course not. But it's like, okay, you went eight and five. You're not even ranked. So yeah, of course not. Yeah. I, anyway, I mean, yeah, whatever. And Wit might be retiring now. Supposedly, I'm sure you saw that. Oh, I did not see that. That's, that's you didn't. Yes, Sports Illustrated supposedly is reporting that Whittingham might retire after this season. I'm okay with that. We go out with a win. That's <laughs> we, we, we get to beat that stupid bastard. In his last game against BYU, that would make me happy. Hey, careful. That's a that's a Cougar alum you're speaking about. Yeah, screw that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chaser, thanks for the breakdown, man. I appreciate it, as always. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up here? No, man. This is just exciting, man. I'm, I'm ready to just plop my butt on the couch all weekend and watch football and watch all these scenarios play out. Yeah, dude. It's going to be a fun time for sure. And go Cougars in basketball and football and hell, women's soccer and women's volleyball as well. Yeah, for sure. Go go Lady Cougs. Go, go Lady Cougs. All right, Chase. Thanks, dude. All right. Oh, love, I remember falling so madly. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. I could almost see it Did you fade right out of you If it takes time